Bye, brother. Bye, 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 bye. 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 Hey, JD Rainsford, how you doing? I'm all right, David Hellard. Good, good, good. What's been happening? What's been happening? I've just remembered, as as we were introducing there, that I was supposed to run a mile and a half as quickly as I could, and I haven't done it yet. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I too far. <laughs> I am actually, I am actually running though, so I'm absolutely fine. Um, I haven't had any problems with my my gout or or anything else. Um, I'm not going to ask you about your situation because I know how how depressing it is. Unless there has been a change. Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay, let's get this. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I, I, I can't wait for you to do this because a mile and a half is bloody hard to run as fast as you can and to pace it right. Uh, I don't think, um, I, don't, I think, off the top of my head, I think it'll take me right now about 15 minutes. <laughs> so that's Eddie minus three. Yeah, I think that, what did he do in 12? Um, I think it was about 12, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Eddie, Eddie will, Eddie's much faster than me. Um, as I am right now, um, yeah. But I'll, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll remind me when we finish this to do it this week because I, I will do it this week. In fact, I might go out after I do this and, and and try it. In fact, why don't why don't I tell a story as part of the intro? I'll maybe read from a book and you do it during the intro. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. And people forward, people because for, people are going to skip my utter nonsense, and so. They then forward to how far they think. In fact, let's put it in the group and do a sweepstake. That's actually a really good idea. Let's do that for the next in next intro we do. Let's do that. That's a really good way of doing it. Okay, and we can do a sweepstake in the group. So if you're not in the group, get in there. We're gonna... gonna. I've just got to work out a mile and a half loop from from the house. So what we'll do is we'll start the intro. I'll go and do it in the mile and a half loop, and then let's see how much you how much talking you like. <laughs> I'm telling a story for half an hour now, and he's still not back. <laughs> this is where you go out and get hit by a car. <laughs> you witness, you witness, all of a sudden, you, you hear Libby screaming. There's ambulance outside. <laughs> and then it starts like the end of War and Peace. Wow, no one's ever got this far. <laughs> you can download the audio pick. Um, now, I, I have been sent a... Wait. Wait, before you do anything, oh, oh. remember what yes. we do? We give a teaser. Oh, yeah, we're giving a teaser. A teaser. David, who is our guest later on? Oh, actually, this is an episode that you'll be surprised because you you were late and then had to go early. So. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry about, <laughs> sorry about this, listener. Um, I got the timing wrong. Not only did I get the timing wrong for this interview and turned up halfway through it when they were doing it, um, I also had to leave early at the same time, uh, which, uh, which means that I'm there for about six minutes <laughs> <laughs> but what i like about this story is you, you you got the timing wrong but you only got the timing one wrong on one end and so therefore you turned up knowing you were going to have to leave in six minutes yeah yeah which i thought well, that's still that's still better than nothing and mike that question wow wow that killer question you, you dropped in in that six minutes oh yeah it was worth it wasn't it you went that is bullshit <laughs> tell <laughs> us the truth <laughs> Yeah, so who is who's who's our guest later so that, you know, maybe potential uh, listeners will want to skip ahead and not listen to us? Uh, this this is Adventure Man, Jamie McDonald, who I think is one of the most inspirational people we've ever had on the podcast. And I mean that in, in every kind of way. It's such a good interview. He's just such a great person. He um, He's one of those people who's done incredible things, but actually 
he's done it for the best reasons all for charity but not even for himself he talks about how he he's done these incredible things and realized actually raising is to do with engaging a community and so he now goes out and he speaks to people so he's, he, he turns parents that need money for their children's operations and their children's care he turns them into the superhero and he engages the local community um, with challenges that they have to do to help raise money for their child it's unbelievable so that is to come right we uh, that was almost too good so now we're gonna it's gonna make our drivel <laughs> yeah no i'm not interested <laughs> in what you're gonna say next Let's just skip to the interview <laughs> now i don't know if this has gone viral yet but i i received a um a picture on WhatsApp from a friend slash enemy of the podcast, Mr. Oh. Tom slash Ian Dark. Oh, yeah, Ian Dark. His, uh, his friend was out running and ran past a gate that had an A4 piece of paper printed out in a, a folder file, like a plastic folder file, on the gate saying 8.48 a.m. Saturday morning young blonde female runner that's in large letters and in the middle it says who stopped to underlined shit in our drive <laughs> then at the bottom it said you dropped a valuable item please call it flat for its return now they've gone that all wrong what <laughs> they've done they've got that all wrong they shouldn't have mentioned that she the they she shit in the drive that they saw that they should have just said well, you dropped a valuable item and so then when she turns up to claim the valuable item then they accuse her of shitting in the drive but i this is what i love about it is, is this a angry message saying don't stick don't shit in our drive or is this the, a helpful message saying come and pick up what it you see it says you dropped a valuable item. Is the joke going to be? It's the shit. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to smear it back in her face. <laughs> That's what it is. They've collected it and they're going to give it back. <laughs> and if that is what it is, how long are they prepared to wait? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I just love this. I think it's brilliant. And there's a lot of that at the moment. I'm sure I've seen lots of different things about. Um, like CCTV or capturing, uh, it's always a young woman, a young woman having a shit in the club, or a young woman having a shit somewhere. And I like so, the idea that it's the same young woman who's on a tour of the UK. <laughs> Do we know any young blonde females in the group that it may be? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> but um, would you go? What would it? How how valuable would the item have to be? For you to pick it up well what is the thing is if you've lost it while you're out for a run it's either it, it's got a, something that's going to be in your pockets isn't it mm, or yeah. in a pack or on your body that that's that's fallen off so it could be a watch if it's a garmin you'd have noticed that wouldn't you if you're watching fall off, <laughs> you'd have noticed that it could yeah. be you know it could be if it's keys you'd have noticed that so what? I'm not entirely sure. What it depends what you go out running with. You may have. You think you may have. Now that would be pretty, pretty essential. I don't know if you would have missed a key, or potentially a, a wallet, a small purse. Yeah, but you'd have noticed what you got home. Yeah, but you you won't have known necessarily where it was, and you'd have thought. Ah, oh, I see. Am I going back to where 
like when would it have happened? When would things have fallen out of my pocket? Oh yeah, when the world fell out of my ass. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so would you go back if it was a if it had a credit card in? Credit and, card. It credit card would what, be a good one. And one key and a ten pound note. Thing is, if it was a credit card, you'd say you dropped your credit card. You wouldn't say a valuable item. It's the it's the lack of specificity around that which no. makes me think that it is the it is the feces that they're going to give back to her. I think they've said valuable item because they want they they firstly if it is really valuable they want to know that it's you by you saying what it is, but also um, I think they want to make it appeal more enticing, so you're more likely to come back. Well, you're not more likely because you, they've already announced that they know that you had a shit there. So there's no way you're going to do it. <laughs> Look, right. It, is, is anyone is, is anyone you should, do, you should report them for theft. That's that's how you get back on them. You say they have taken something of mine and they stole my shit. <laughs> I'm coming back for that. <laughs> is it, I, can you successfully prosecute that? <laughs> stole my shit. You, you stole my pieces of corn. Um, but if is anyone in the group prepared? Any of the only do badders prepared to pick it up? If we find out the exact address, you'd send a friend, wouldn't you? You'd send a friend <laughs> to see. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's if somebody lives doing. near. <laughs> yeah, he'd be like, "Can you just pop in?" Perfect. <laughs> just pop in and just check that it's all right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be really confusing if, as a friend, you pop in, you knock on the door, you're clueless, and then they give you a bag of shit? <laughs> Especially if your friend is a blonde female. <laughs> right, Mr. Duck, we want to know what happens. We we want your friend. Or, or you've just put it up there because you want social media uh, attention. No, but he didn't share it on social media. He shared it with me on WhatsApp. Because yeah, you know he's he's gonna they're desperate over at uh, their 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 podcast now that I mean he's just got his own podcast. If I was gonna say desperate. if I was gonna say this is anything, this was probably CFTB dressed in a blonde wig, going round just trying to get attention of people's attention. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's <laughs> it, isn't it? That's typical. That's just, that's typical CFTB. Classic CFTB. Now. um... I've got I've got some news to do with like running that is possibly quite interesting. Go on. So there's been a new study, and um, the for the do badders that like their sports nutrition, it's always been kind of known, kind of assumed that the stomach can only take sixty grams of carbs in an hour, and that that is the optimal amount to take. And yet you've got like Morton where it could now through hydrogels, you can potentially take on more. You've got dual, dual tracks of things like nectar and, um, and and the like where you can take on two types of carbs, which gives you slightly more. But um, they've done a study where it's now said that taking as much as 120 grams of carbs per hour can benefit performance and recovery. Right, and so and, what, and uh, explain. So, this is the equivalent of two and a half bagels per hour. That doesn't sound a lot. That's I take on much more than that. You think you do? Oh yeah. Are we talk so, about running. <laughs> 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 I've took even through my sleep. Yeah, no. <laughs> 
So, so this is this is the equivalent of so if you think most gels are 22 grams of carbs, you're looking at five to six gels an hour, which is a huge amount of gels. Um, but the trouble is, you they've they've used people who've had to train themselves up to consuming this amount of carbs, and and there there is a problem, right? Because I mean, to, to be fair, it was a, a small sample. Um, so, you know, they need to test this more, which obviously they never will because very hard to do large samples. But, yeah, it, it suggested improved performance, but you really need to be able to train your, your stomach to do that. And we've spoken to Re uh, Reenie McGregor about 100 milers and how to prepare for that and how you, tr how you do actually train yourself for using those sports nutrition. It's the first, first one we did with her. But having to train yourself to eat, the equivalent of five gels every hour when you're out training. I mean, that is that worth it? What's the what, what's the benefit? What's the benefit of doing of doing that? Just to, it, you know, on a, on a really basic level, is it is it just to it, of taking it, taking on so, more carbs? So taking on more carbs. Part of it is faster recovery. So the main thing, the main benefit was that compared to sixty grams per hour and 90 grams per hour, which seem to be exactly the same, the markers of muscle damage after the race in the blood were massively reduced oh, okay. for 120 grams. That makes sense. Which, that makes, that's, that, you could kind of, on a common sense basis, come to that conclusion, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And I, I've, I've not read anything more than just this. So I don't know whether that's because the hypothesis that the body has to break down proteins or, or exactly what. But the, the actual difference is, is substantial. Um, we're looking at like 20, less than 20% of the muscle damage in terms of the markers, which doesn't necessarily mean, blah, 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 you know, there's all these, all these asterisks attached to it. But really, really interesting for for ultra runners in particular, because one of the the biggest issues with doing ultra running and racing is is such a, a long distance is is that you're screwed forever. Yeah, absolutely. And even like you know, just in it, that recovery element as well is a really important thing. So when you when you're trying to do like big mileage, say over back yeah. weekends and stuff like that, you know, really really trying not to. Um, damaged muscle to a point where you know you can't can't keep that volume up um yeah you know, it's fine it's fine doing it for a single race and everything you know and you can trash yourself but but actually it's the it's the build up to it and staying and anything that would sort of massively reduce muscle damage would be massively useful um yeah but, but you say so but, but what so what's it trying to suggest that you you train yourself by i mean five, five is five gels an hour a lot i th i think so especially yeah, I suppose I suppose actually thinking about it, five gels an hour. If you're out running for more than five hours, that's like in 25. That is a lot. Well, say say you're doing a, you're taking 100 gels out. More than 100 gels if you're doing you know a sub 24. So, well, a yeah, I suppose we're only suggesting that gels have the capacity to be able to deliver that that amount of. Um, well, I, I guess the, the complexity right is. Of, yeah. But the, the, I mean, the, the, the difficulty is because I mean, the reason we take gels is simplicity, right? But if if you're having to, you're not. It, the, the thing is, people, I, I don't know how many people take lots of gels when they go when they do those like an ultra. Uh, it, probably a mix, isn't it? I, I don't. I, yeah. Very few would do it the whole the whole 
away. But the, the difficulty then becomes if you're not using gels, you're you're being less efficient with carbs. Oh, you, I you, mean, that's the thing. We are definitely being less efficient. But I think there's a that's the thing is it with ultras that you are. You're, there's a there's a price to be paid. Um, yeah. From, yeah, yeah. From actually it being bearable, because imagine most people. If you had to say someone, most people don't mind running for six, seven hours and things like that. But if you say you run six, seven hours and you could only eat gels, that that yeah. would be unbearable. Yeah. Um, the whole point is so you can like smash some chips down. That's the whole point, isn't it? But that that's smash the issue the as well, right? Do we want to be ultra runners if when we're training? We're having to take on loads of carbs, and so we don't get to pig out afterwards anyway. Exactly. Well, and when we're racing, afterwards, during, <laughs> and during, and during, and but before. Yeah, but if it basically this could kill off any what I love about ultra running and and just running and training hard is that you can just as long as you're being taking on lots of vitamins, you can have a whole load of crap on top. But this this might mean that you, you can't have the whole load of crap on top unless you're eating not, ice cream I, as you run. I'm not I'm not sure that's entirely true. That you, as long as you're taking the bits of you can have a whole lot of crap. I'm not sure that's entirely true at all. I mean, I've spoken to Dr. Nick. <laughs> uh, I, I, would, I would question that assumption, uh, first and foremost. Well, when I die happy, I'll, I'll admit. When I die happy yeah. at, at 45. Uh, <laughs> I... Don't say that. That's only three years away. <laughs> yeah, but I... this, this is really interesting. Again. And as you say, it's that recovery piece as well. And whether, you know, I don't know whether they're going to research this more because it's such, a, it, it's just too hard. A, It's too hard to do it. But would this then mean you could, because could you do back-to-back long days? But then often with things like the muscle damage, part of the muscle damage is how you improve. And so is this something where if you were to do it in your long training, it would reduce actually the performance gains, a bit like the ice bath that, that where that's... But what do, what, what do, what do professional ultra runners I mean, there's no way that there's professional ultra running 120 grams of carbs an hour. Oh, well, Camille, Camille wouldn't be, would she? And 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 this is the other. We this know, also we know then... that she has bacon and cabbage for lunch. <laughs> <don't we? laughs> but also then, but you'd you'd have this weird, depending on which school of thought you went down. If you're trying to get absolute perfection, you might be some of your long runs just going out with entire bags of uh, huge bags of bagels but then you're also trying to do faster training so that you can optimize your fat burn and so you're alternating doing zero calories and then thousands so it's this is really interesting because it goes completely against the school of thought of you need to be doing some faster training at times so um, maybe we should find out who did the study and just see what their thinking is on where this could go and whether they're actually going to explore this more. Well, who, who was it done? Was it done? Was it done by a fucking gel company? Because that would make <laughs> sense, wouldn't it? That would make perfect sense. Oh, it turns out you need double the amount of gels per hour. Oh, really? <laughs> who funded this one? The New York Babel, New York Bagel Factory. <laughs> <Bagel> the... <laughs> What they do it's really weird because they also funded a study that said that you know to become an opt you know optimal ultra runner you also need a bagel pacer someone who specifically provides you with bagels while pacing you. Actually, so I'm going to find out who it is. Bad idea, a bagel pacer. 
Yeah. So he specifically has a toasting machine on them and bagels and could provide and he, you with a range of different bagels up to two and a half every hour on your ultra. He could even lovely. carry them no hands. That'd be lovely. Well, I'm going to find out who uh, who this is. Oh, I think it's bagels, actually. A taste of bagel would be... Oh, yeah, cinnamon Not one. Not it, has to, it has to be toasted because of yeah. your bagel, because it has to be... But that, that has, like, the highest GI, doesn't it, of, of all the bread products. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, they've, really t- they've basically taken a loaf of bread and just squished it down. And boiled it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever made so this... before? You ever made them? Um, n- no. Oh, they're really weird to make. Really weird. You've made bagels? Yeah. But why did you make bagels? Well, why not? Seems... Well, 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 that's like saying, why, why would anyone cook anything? Why wouldn't you make bagels? Because to see what it was like to make a bagel. Okay. I, I, mean, I, I just would assume it's one of those products there. I can't imagine getting bagels to be much better than bagels are. You say New York Bagel Company is the best bagel that you can, you could possibly have. Given that I've only eaten their bagels, yes, I am. <laughs> I mean, there's not a second company. Wouldn't just know the other company are. Warburton's. Warburton's do bagels. Do they? Yeah. They're not very not, good, though. They're not, not as good as the trust the New, York, New York Bagel, bagel Company. New York yeah, Bagel I'm... Company, based out of Croydon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so talking about uh, nutrition and uh, controversies and uh, studies, um, have you seen the story, which is, I would say, in recent times, it's probably the one that's garnered the most amount of... Um, comments and engagement in the BBR Facebook group. It is the story of, I can't remember what it's called. It's like the five, five days, hundred miles, zero calories. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, you, you meant, you mentioned it to me. So I've been trying to figure out what it is. More well, than okay, well, let's start, off. Let's, start <laughs> let's start. let's start right from the start. Okay, so right from that, basically, um, uh, uh, someone came into the group and posted uh, an article on Runners World, and this article basically uh, it leads off like this. So they, the, the headline is James Cracknell's running a hundred miles in five days while only consuming water. The Olympian is trying to prove the body can be fueled by fat alone. I mean, the Olympian is clearly trying to prove the body can do something that we already know it can do. Brilliant. Um, and so this is kind of how it goes. Double Olympic gold medalist James Cracknell is running 100 miles in five days whilst only consuming water to prove that the body can be fueled by fat alone. When explaining the challenge on his social media pages, Cracknell wrote, why the dietary guidelines advise 55% of our diet should be carbohydrate has no scientific basis. Society is eating too many carbs. As a result, over 60% of the UK population is overweight. This project is aiming to prove the body can turn to fat to fuel itself efficiently. And so then it goes on and say that they're doing this thing. They've actually done the challenge now. Actually, as we speak, they have done the challenge and they have completed it and um, proved that the body can use fat to fuel itself efficiently. Does that, does that prove that? I don't know. I don't know if it does it efficiently. But well, doesn't it prove that your body doesn't need necessarily more it proves that the body can do exercise without just a glycogen stored in your muscles. 
Yeah. It could it it could did be that not, it's using did, your hair to fuel. Did we not know? Did we not know that before? Did we not know that? Is that is that something new? What the, the, I mean, the point with this is that the person that originally posted it was saying that actually there is a there is a genuine piece of research going on around this, um, and there was before Cracknell ever got involved. So if you go into if you go into the BBR group, and I'm sure it's the same conversations going on everywhere else as well. So you go in the BBR group and you have a look on the Facebook, um, you know, the kind of the uh, I wouldn't say it was. I, I, would, I wouldn't say it's a debate because it's pretty one-sided. Um, <laughs> but the, the general issue is that saying that this is irresponsible, um, and you know that actually the way that it's kind of been reported, and uh, and you know people have been defending it, say, well, it's part of a proper study. But I mean, like just reading that Runners World article, it, it, it doesn't. There's nothing really that it's about a study. It's just it, it sounds like Cracknell is is, is trying to prove something. Um, yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> So, like, a lot of people were talking about the fact that this kind of thing being reported in this way results in um, issues with eating disorders. And it's weird because I don't know. Did you ever watch um, the Michael Mosley documentary? Uh, I think it was like a three part documentary called How to Lose a Stone in 21 Days. No. No. OK, so. <laughs> This this program came out um, just after just kind of after lockdown. I called Michael Mosley is the why the, the why was it twenty one days? Is that is that just how many weeks you could get a TV commission? <laughs> I don't know. I, the thing is, with I think with a lot of these um, productions, they don't come up with the headline, do they? Until you know they they, they create the production and then they come up with the headline afterwards. And and I think twenty one days. I don't know. They, they did do it for twenty one days, but there, there was there wasn't anything specifically about losing a stone in there. It was just what can what what can, basically it was. They were trying to get them on a ketosis. Um, uh, what's it called? Fooling the body ketosis. Um, get them on that, a diet that that um, promotes um, uh, ketosis. Which my my sister and her fiance are, are both doing at the moment. Oh, okay, okay, and so it's a, it's a, I can't remember, it's a 600, 800 calorie, something like that. So a, 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 a low calorie. So it's not, it's not fasting, and that's it. It's the low calorie diet um, that uh, they are that they're using to, to promote it. And so, it, and the whole thing it was based around, it was based around the fact that you know, over lockdown, everyone put on like a stone and a half or something like that. And so it had all these people who, uh, they, were, they were overweight already, but it just got really bad over, if that, over lockdown. It, I'm going to text my sister just right now to find out if she's doing this fast because of, oh, sorry, this diet because of the TV show. That's a good question, actually. Because the thing is, I, when, this came, when, when this program came out, and I think, again, it's particularly the headline of it, Lose uh, a Stone in 21 Days, because... It's it's a rapid weight drop, and even though they have um, the kind of the science shows that you know there is a benefit for people who are um, uh, pre-diabetic be able to go on a sort of almost a crash uh, weight loss um, program, and I, th I think that's actually what the NHS uses now in 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 some cases, or at least that's what they were they, they were saying in the program. Um, in order to just kind of like reset their um, uh, to to get them out of that sort of pre-diabetic state. The 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 kind of the headline itself of you know uh, lose a stone in twenty one days was seen as irresponsible. Um, and when I read this, I was like, oh okay, oh that's interesting. Like you know, the, 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 they say that, but it did actually cause a massive spike in um, calls to eating disorder charities as a result of this um, of this particular program. So 
there, I mean, there is a direct correlation. Like when you when you report on stuff like this in this way, uh, then it does cause those kind of issues. Um, so I don't know. It's weird because I've seen, you know, since we were talking about this, I've seen this reported elsewhere. I've seen this reported in like, the Telegraph and stuff. And everything has balanced it with um, people talking about, you know, experts talking about why this is uh, particularly dangerous, why you shouldn't try this, all this kind of stuff. So any any scientific basis for this or whatever the, the original basis for, for, for doing this study was has been completely overshadowed by this kind of headline that they've got around it, which I don't, yeah, it doesn't matter what they come out with now, no one's going to listen to it because they, they, they've almost um, sullied the whole, the whole name of it as well. But there's, there's so much to do with reporting that is quite hard to pinpoint who's actually at fault here, whether it's, you know, is it the journalist? Is it the kind of producer of the TV show or, or the, like, same uh, James, or would it be the, the scientist trying to do this thing? Um, but also even like rep calls to a number, um, that it depends what the calls are about, right? Because it might actually be people asking questions and then becoming more informed. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that was that, that was how. Again, again, all of this is stuff that's reported without experience. <laughs> that's the that's the difficulty with this, isn't it? That there is an agenda as well by those who are, you know. The, if you so are, if you're, if you're working for an eating disorder charity, of course you absolutely don't want these kind of headlines, stuff like that. But I think I think there's a difference. I think there is a difference between um, reporting on something because mm. uh, the, the runners world thing looks like it was and a lot of reports look like it was just simply pulled from what he had said on his social media channels um because i, I we keep being told um that you know this is part of a bigger study and stuff but i you know I, that's never mentioned in any of the um any of the, the the reports or anything i don't know if there was a press release put out about it or something but if it has no one's covered it everyone's just covered this element of of, of him doing this and i think the difficulty is because he has if there was just any old any old person doing it, um, you know, you could just kind of go, oh well, you know, it's a bit it's a bit silly and stuff. But because it's Cracknell and he is a you know an Olympian, it does add it has it does that thing that you know you that you talk about a real buzz um, where mm. you have someone with some sort of credibility giving advice, and then that's alongside someone who doesn't have any credibility giving advice, and because of that association with it, it it, it it's confusing and it can be dangerous as well. I think it's you know if if, if it's someone that's an Olympian that everyone knows is kind of a household name is doing something which there aren't warnings given about. I mean, it, 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 he's just he said it's something to do with obesity. Um, but is is it really about obesity? I mean, is it? It's a, it's a weird way. It's a weird way of going about to show that, uh, you know, it's campaign of obesity. Um, well, we because we tried to. We did, which, which I tried to figure out if it's diabetes one, diabetes two that were taking part because I, one of the suggestions, like you could understand diabetes two would tie in with the view to do with carbohydrates because, yeah. um, you know, diet leads to um, type two diabetes often. Um, whereas type one diabetes is very different and it's to do, and, and there was the suggestion that it was to do with how the body then fuels in these yeah. states um but it just it just seemed a very strange way to go about it and then to include and i, I think the issue was that no one who was actually involved in the study other than james seemed to say anything about it and so suddenly it, and, and also 
the reality of something like the, the, the media now, you may write something as a tweet, as part of a tweet, and that it can be a kind of throwaway comment that might have been your third response to something yeah. that you've said previously. And actually, the most important thing is the headline. And there are no headlines on Instagram or, um, well, I guess there are on Instagram to a certain extent, but on Twitter, because Twitter is more of a conversation. Yeah. And so you you could quite easily, I could quite easily see a, a circumstance where he's saying all these things as a real positive. And actually, I think his intentions behind it are, are quite positive. I mean, the 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 view that people are too obsessed with carbs and actually there is a, the, that there is a kind of back history of when carbs was seen as being positive and now they're not in the same way. And you've got people like Tim Noakes who are saying we need to be changing our diets. And so part of that is really positive. And I can understand why doing this actually does demonstrate what they're intending is that you can fuel without carbs. Um, the trouble is to capture headlines or to make it worth, you know, newsworthy, you've got to do something that's a little bit stupid or a little bit unexpected. And can you ever talk about diet without it ever then becoming an issue? Like can can you talk about extremes of diet without it then becoming irresponsible? It's well, it's weird, isn't it? Because I th talking about fasting, you know, fasting was seen as extreme, um, you know, a few years back, and now you know people have built you know things like intermittent fasting and like five two and stuff like that. A lot of those things, you know, they <laughs> they're kind of almost mainstream now. Um, and so it's re I don't know. I, sometimes things are extreme before they become normal. And with, yeah, with a lot of situations. So it is. It is weird. But I, I, I think the point what you're saying about um, making comments and actually, you know, because it didn't used to be in the past. You know, when like journalists were proper journalists, where they'd actually get um, they'd source um, something directly from a, um, a you know they get the news directly from a source and report on it rather than just go on someone's instagram feed or uh, mm. or, or twitter feed and pull something and, and and try and make out a story from that that's the issue isn't it i mean that's the that's yeah that's what that's what makes it irresponsible i mean like he every time you I mean, when you i think when you're a, a sort of a, broad, a, a sort of a celebrity or at least a public figure or you've got one of those blue ticks next to your name or whatever anything that you say you've got to be careful about how it's you know how it's going to come across and so you know you assume that there's always a possibility that it can be published or used somewhere or used against you or something like that so you have to be super careful you can't you can't really do throwaway comments if you're in that situation it's just when when you see things reported and they're using comments um, and quotes and stuff from people who, who you know, aren't expected to, to be like that, that's 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 an issue as well. Uh, I, I just I don't know. It's just it's really weird. Like what? what I mean, they, uh, I don't know. I don't know. what The issue is they like, didn't they didn't put out a press release. Right. And they said, yeah, they didn't the say thing. this is what we're doing. They then went, right, we're doing this. But it seemed that the scientists, the doctors who decided they're doing that then went, how about we just. In, invite on this a random celebrity who doesn't have diabetes it does that's what it kind of feels like it does feel like that it's like what well, we we need to we're doing something 
we need some press for it. Let's invite someone who, oh, wait a minute, he's gone completely off message <laughs> and he's talking about stuff that this has got nothing to do with. <laughs> Stop bringing the Jews into this. This has nothing to do with the Jews. I don't understand how we... What? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why did we pick him? Yeah, again, and that's maybe quite like a little bit of naivety. But I, the thing is, you read about it and I still have no real idea what it... What, what the purpose of it is <laughs> like there's been it's not as if anyone's come out and said oh you know can you up you because know, the thing is it's amazing about that like, people can update stories um but you know i still have no real idea now what the fuck anything's about it, it, it's really <laughs> difficult as to what the purpose is apart from the one guy in our in, a, in the facebook group who's vehemently defending them because he knows someone who's on the who i feel incredibly sorry for i, I think he was coming in for. thinking this is good hey this is quite a fun story right well, this well, is a bit, it. It's a bit it? out there it was congratulations <laughs> hey guys look at these look at the amazing thing these guys are doing <laughs> that was a big mistake in the, <laughs> in the <VR laughs> facebook group um and um and yeah because he's obviously seen it from one side as to what it is but then of course everyone else has seen it from the way that it's been reported through uh the way that you know james cracknell's done it and, and then it's just been kind of slaughtered and he's he's doing a good job trying to uh uh you know um talk you know give their give whatever their side but they've not done a very good job at telling their side uh, uh, you know i don't know it just it must, it seems, it's just a massive clusterfuck <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and but then I don't know whether anyone's taken notice of this in the wider running community, or if this is just very much trapped in our bubble and something that some individuals are very sensitive to, and therefore has caused this huge, huge I, escalation. Now, what, what I don't understand, and this is not me like got to be in my bonnet or anything, but what I don't understand it is how every, like last time I checked, it was about two hundred comments and stuff. Two hundred comments about James Cracknell. Um, you know, uh, fasting for for a bunch of days, something. But when when Tim Sheaf like fasts for sixty days and then spunks over a salmon, no one says a word. No one says anything at all. Well, I think they did on YouTube. Well, but... I, well, of course they do on YouTube. Everyone everyone hates a all, all vegans hate an ex-vegan. True, true. Now I've I've got a controversy for you, which I think is Ooh. one of those ones that. It's right on the edge of knowing what to do and what the right thing is. Oh, which means that it's so far over the line of what's wrong. <laughs> if, if you're saying that, if you every time you say it's borderline, it's like it's mm, it's not borderline at all, David. Go on, let's hear. No, so this is good. This is this is a tricky one, which which for me I delight in because I it's just interesting to see how people then position themselves and then also how they word things. And but so as as you hopefully. Have, have known for a while. I, I was a member of, of Heathside Running Club. I, I say was a member just because I, I haven't renewed my membership since I haven't run in, in in eight months, but I'll be back. I'll be back. And as with all England athletic running clubs, you get a an official vest, so, which is why the Bad Boy Running Club has to have a, you know, a, a vest rather than a top that some people want. Yep. It's because to be able to take part in England athletic cross-country competitions and the like, you need a vest. So that's part one. Now, some individuals who um, have said they'd quite like to get a, a, a brand of the vest by Saw Running. So Saw Running are really nice top-end running gear. Yeah. And they, they've found a bit of a niche where 
they've started to make club vests, but expensive ones. So if you think of companies like Ashme, they're along those lines. Um, and so, yeah, and so for a lot of people, the you get your club vest, you join the club, you get your vest, and then you have that for forever until until it falls apart and you're forced to buy a new one. So for them, the idea of actually in their proper race vest that they use for all across country, they use for things like London Marathon, of actually having quite a nice one is, is quite a nice idea. Yeah. So this was then floated in the WhatsApp group of the club, yeah. and quite a few people were, were game for it, except it turns out they don't make women's versions of them. Oh, okay. So... Um, now that that was then seen as being like an a, a, an issue for understandable reasons that should we have like an elite type vest that is only for the men but then they used to make a women's version and they couldn't not enough women wanted them and so they stopped doing it because there wasn't the demand so now we're in this situation where obviously quite a few of the women are saying this isn't this isn't right some of the guys are saying well this isn't it's, it's not an official club um for the club are not saying we're all going to do this this is just some individuals doing it but then at the same point it will become an official club vest in that yeah. you you will be able to wear this officially in races at which point the the men through all these these things coming together will then be the only ones to have an elite club vest and the women won't be able to get one so now you're like well what do we do because yeah, that's not borderline man that's not that's that's quite <laughs> clearly not borderline that's you don't get one yeah i mean that's what that's what i said as well as yeah. soon as it became a as soon as it, you could wear it officially as a club then you don't get one if it was a an equivalent of like socks that only the men could have and individuals wearing it fair enough but but it's it's tricky it's now the thing is even if even if it wasn't official it's not a very club-like thing to do is it but it, it's not by the club it's by individuals in the club i know i know but even even creating a, a, a you know it might be something as, as as small as that but even creating a niche with it like that's like going oh you know um you know the club aren't telling us that we need to create badges of you know who the uh you know sub 230 marathon runners are but we've created our own badges and we'll wear them um during training and stuff like that so you're, you're still creating a, a a clique within a club already and that and that's that's quite that's a bit shitty well, I'd, I'd say in their defense is that you you may be creating a clique in some ways, but they probably didn't realize and think through because they, they know that other clubs use these tops. They probably just looked and went, I'd quite like to have one of those for my club. And so then said, can we get them for our club? And they went, yeah, we just need numbers. And then they said to the group, hey, does anyone else want these? And I imagine that was exactly what happened without someone having to think how is this going to be seen? Can everyone afford it? Is this going to be open yeah. to everyone? And and that's the the tricky situation now with the the, the the line between individuals and clubs and what's um what's elite, what isn't. And so yeah, really really awful situation in some ways. Um, 
particularly as where do you then draw the lines for club policy? And now that we've had this discussion, and it sounds, I, I'm not sure what they've decided. I think some individuals are going off to buy them. Well, but when when we then look at other clubs, we're then like, ah, so these clubs clearly haven't had those conversations because like almost their entire team of men's team have this strip. Yeah. So, so yeah. If you're going to do something divisive, uh, don't tell anyone about it. That's the key. Remain yeah. ignorant. Remain ignorant as to other people's views. It's an interesting. It's an interesting one. But the but but that actually that is the truth, right? If he just gone out, went out and bought himself his own vest. Yeah. No one would mind, would they? Well, they would mind eventually. They Do you think? I... Oh, if they found out about it, they would mind because they. It's just. I don't know. Like, it, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying to think of a, uh, an analogy off the top of my head, and I can't. The thing is, is it's just kind of, isn't it? Kind of against the spirit of a club. If you go, like, if you're in a club and you're all, and the whole, you know, the whole, uh, the whole thing is that you all, when you go to a race together, and you know, I've not been part of a running club, so I don't know this, but I'm just assuming. So you all go to a race together, and the beauty of that is that you're all essentially all wearing the same uniform vest, aren't you? And that's the that's the beauty of it, and that's where that sense of belonging comes from as well. That you know, you all go en masse to these different places and you compete and that's great and everything and if someone decides i'm going to have something slightly different from everyone else doesn't that automatically break that regardless of the own reasons for doing it but it's the fact that you feel as though i can do something different from the rest of the group this is as i'm saying this this sounds incredibly <laughs> communist <laughs> Um, but don't you think so? Don't you think it's kind of like it's not? It's just not in the spirit. And and do you think there's a an, an unsaid verbal con an unsaid that's, contract? That's the point. Well, if you didn't do that, I mean, if if society started that, and if we you know we all live we all live with a social contract, and if all of a sudden people decided, oh, I'm going to operate outside that social contract, and as long as I don't have to talk to other people about it and discuss it with other people, and I start doing things, what was if everyone did that, David? What was if everyone? It'd be chaos. We'd be in France. <laughs> Well, I'm just trying to think because I'm sure at times I have gone off and made my own versions of things. But um, it's fun. It's, the thing is, you can do it in certain situations when it's funny, and and it makes you look and it and especially if it makes you look stupid. Like if you're doing it for comedic purposes. I thought I looked great. Whatever the thing I can't think of is. Um, but if you're doing if you're doing it, and you're getting somehow getting something superior that other people then won't be able to do, then. Um, yeah, I mean, why don't we introduce an elite vest um, in the in the uh, bad boy running club? See how that goes down. A gold elite vest for. I I I'd be happy I mean, to if it's done in the right way. I think it'd be very funny. <laughs> we should. The thing is, if it's a if it's a vest for uh, that goes in the other direction, and it's only for people who are terrible, then I there would there would be uh, there would, no one would have a problem with that. I think we should do that. How about we create an elite vest? That is won by whoever comes last from the club in the Centurion Hundred Miler each time. I'm trying to think of an elite vest that we can. But we, in fact, we call it that. But then people might see it as being like a humiliating vest that you don't want to wear, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to like a celebration of like it's going to be celebrating the person who's 
he's uh, <laughs> spent the most time on the course, but it might, like, I've just realized now, it might be seen very differently by some people. <laughs> <laughs> we basically, we dress up, we dress up the person and we humiliate We're going to flower and yeah. egg, egg them. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, um, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work. That's not going to work at all. Uh, no matter, I think, yeah, definitely from a um, uh, from an external perspective, um, which makes me want to do it more uh, as a result. Yeah. Of that. But I think anything anything that you you try to that you try to do that that is that that somehow puts you in a better position than other people, I think it is kind of against the spirit of it, isn't it? I think if we came up with a mega cool looking top that everyone wanted and was just generally accepted as being the coolest top, and we we gave the award a really great name. And then we gave it to whoever we thought was. It's it's no, like the it trying hard. It shouldn't go to who's last. It should go to who's made the least effort, because that yeah. is a very very different. Um, uh, that's you. You have to achieve something for the least effort. That's an incredibly hard thing to do. Because the problem with giving it to a person who's last is that they take. You can. They, there's a lot of effort sometimes as we found out from some of the interviews in coming last in something or being you know at the back um, i like i like the idea of that battle of do batters who you know one of them one of them's drinking 10 pints at the last aid station the other one ups it to vodka <laughs> yeah i think it's quite i think i think there is there is there is some value in that i think there's a general um well we'll it's another we'll put this one to the into the club does the club want a vest, a special we vest? Do. We should have we should have a vest that goes that is an elitist vest that is worn by the best runner in the club, but it's the worst. It's literally a picture <laughs> with cocks on it or something like that. And basically, uh, CFTB has to wear it. Yeah, absolutely. And he'd he'd delight in that. He'd delight in that for sure. He would. We need some positivity, which links in with our next guest, who is. Possibly one of the most glorious, positive, lovely, inspiring people we've ever had on the podcast. Take it away, Nick. So, Dubadders, I've been trying to get our next guest on for, I'm going to say, about four years. It might even be... Yeah, from the start, um, I we've had Dave Cornthwaite on already, who set up Yes Tribe, and the first Yes Tribe um, thing I ever went to, Jamie was actually presenting about being Adventure Man, and I was just blown away by, well, by Jamie, but actually, I just think he's so unique in in what he does, and uh, was blown away by what he'd achieved, but also the fact. I think we're used to getting people on the podcast who try and do amazing things. Some of it's to raise money. Some of it's just for the challenge. But actually, what really struck me about Jamie is that he he created this this approach to life that wasn't about making wasn't about looking about him. It was actually about empowering others um, and doing all of that for charity by turning them into heroes. So. We're going to talk about a whole load of stuff, but welcome on the podcast, the incredible, you know, you may know him as Adventure Man, but the amazing Jamie McDonald. You mentioned like blown away, David. I was thinking, did I fart in his face that night? (laughs) 
Yeah, well, that was my first intro into Yes Tribe as well, and to a whole... Was was Anna there that night? Did she present as well? I think she was, yeah. That was that was all the spike as well. In fact, everyone there that night was amazing. Is this this? Maybe they all are that good. Who knows? Um, but how are you? How congratulations in order anyway on uh, if we're allowed to say that. But how how are things with you? Well, good. Yeah. So um, mo- most of you might know Anna McNuff. So she's my wifey, and then her belly is massive right now. Uh, not for because she's been eating too many pies, but she's just got a big belly because four months ago she got pregnant. And Yay! McNuff up the duff. I mean, has that been said a lot? I guess that for it's just quite a repeat. I if I was if I was in a relationship with with Anna, I'd want to get her up the duff just for that phrase, McNuff up the duff. <laughs> <laughs> was well, that the main motivation? With her. No other reason why I'm with her. So <laughs> get her up the duff. <laughs> So, um, I mean, where where should we where should we begin? Do you, do you should we go back to that talk and and like how you became like your journey into Mister Adventure Man? Because it I think it it explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I would say probably about eight years ago, maybe even longer. I remember kind of saving up to put a deposit on a house, and I went to sign the papers. I saved up twenty thousand pounds, which was. Yeah. Heck of a lot of money. You know, I worked my socks off for three years to save that money. And I went to sign the papers to buy this house. And right at the last minute, I just got this gut feeling in my stomach where I was like, something's wrong here. And I don't know if you ever get those kind of gut feelings. And in the end, I just pulled out and I said, I'm so sorry. I, I can't do this. And the oh. house people were so annoyed at me. And I then just started to take some time out and reflect on my life and thought, what is this all about? All my friends are all buying houses. Well, well, you know, I'm sure I should do this. And in the end, I, I just I felt like there must have been more to life. Like there's got to be more. What were you afraid but, of? Good question. Commitment. Just to, but it's like commitment to a house. It's not even was it was it your job as well or? I guess I was working as a tennis teacher. Yeah. Or, you know, and I was enjoying it, but I kind of felt like on the outside, I was really super enthusiastic. But I was on the inside. I'm like, this is not, this ain't more to life right here. Um, so, yeah, I think commitment and that feeling of I just don't want to go down this pathway. I don't feel like this is right. And um, and just listening to that gut feeling. That's all I had, really. Mm. Um, so then I ended up uh, going back to the children's hospital. I had this urge to go back and see, um, I don't know, to reconnect with my childhood. So I don't know if you remember, but I, I spent most mm. of my life in hospital as a kid. I used to have like a rare spinal condition. So I had immune deficiency, epilepsy, and sometimes I couldn't move my legs. Uh, but I, I was born like it. So it kind of was normality, if you like. Mm. And when I was about seven years old, I remember this doctor kind of explained to me and my mum that I'd end up in a wheelchair. And when we left, my mum said, don't you dare listen to a word that doctor just told you. Don't you dare. And then we went back, put this piece of string in the back garden. She said, do you want to play tennis? And I remember feeling like, oh, really, mum? 
And I started like cracking the ball and I just got this like love for movement. And you know, like a dog, when you throw a ball for a dog and it's like, I've got to go, I've got to go. So I'm sure everyone's running. So we kind of get that. So I was like that, you know, at nine years old. And over the space of a year, all my symptoms just gradually disappeared. Wow. Do you think that was because of the movement or do, is that, do you think positivity or was it just a coincidence or like what's your view on how that happens? Uh, I guess maybe you're right. Maybe all those things, you know, having this new kind of purpose move. Yeah, just taking myself out of my body almost. And that's how I remember it, you know. And to be fair, at the time, it might have been when Emma had just lost the semi-final. We were still waiting for a British champ. Maybe that's why you had that inner calling. Oh, I was thinking like, Henwin, you need to just move out of the way. This is, this is my turn <laughs> there. And I was, I was like smashing forehands and backhands. And I remember like really clearly when I was 16 years old, I genuinely, I wanted to be like the next big Tim Henman, you know, at Wimbledon. But I worked it out myself in the end. And to be fair, my parents allowed me to work it out too. But I was absolutely crap at tennis. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I guess you've got a very supportive mum, which when when you're potentially going into a wheelchair is really positive. But when you're potentially going to throw away your life to a tour that is horrific, unless you're the very best, it's maybe not as positive when it gets to that side of things. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, yeah, you're right. And I was inspired by Tim Hemman's backhand. I mean, have you seen his slice backhand? <laughs> oh, beautiful. Good, good slice, yeah. But and so were you like you, how much of that time like do, at the end of that year was it as clean cut as now you're let's say normal you're you're just you're like everyone else again or like like did were you reset or have you always had issues still no so every year I had a checkup uh, to see if kind of fluid on my spinal cord uh, was growing and every year it stayed the same and then when I got to I think it was 18 that's when the doctor said look you know what you, we don't need to do any more checkups we think you're good and, and you know it is always that worry of like will this come back and he's like I don't think so just crack on and that's it so you just shove it to the back and and then and then crack on but I, I guess that trying to reconnect I had this huge urge to try and do it and, you know, when I went into the hospital when I was like an adult, I didn't, you know, I didn't mm. want to get the house. I went in there and I just left there and I thought, do you know what? Maybe this is more. So with that £20,000, I thought maybe I can actually give back. So what I did is I bought a bicycle for 50 quid out of the newspaper. It was one of the worst bikes known to man. Then I said to the hospital, um, I'm going to cycle from Bangkok all the way back to Gloucester, 14,000 miles. And I mean, why, why Bangkok? Why? Well, I had, I, I felt like I just wanted to go on this massive trip. I had a look on the map uh, when I, in my geography kind of, um, uh, kind of uh, studio while I was teaching tennis. And I remember kind of looking up the map and I've been to Bangkok and there were all these wacky countries, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan on there. Yeah. Thought, wow, can you actually go to these places? 
so that was it it was kind of like this urge just to see places that no one had ever seen before or at least i didn't think they did and do you so was the intent of that to like what what percentage of that do you think was the adventure the kind of running away from um this this fear of being tied into a mortgage and what percent of it do you think it was i i want to do something for charity that's a good question i would say i'd say it right in the early beginning it was more about the adventure it was like mm. i just need the more for me was the adventure and it was only an idea to give back um mm. but then of course when you start these things and i remember like peddling in china like in the desert you know basically eating like some dog food i didn't even know what it was and then you start to kind of you know then you, that's that motivation then starts to drip in of you know what's this all about what are you actually doing here <laughs> yeah but it starts being fun doesn't it you're kind of like <laughs> yeah i, I want to eat dog food for a reason not just because i don't want to buy a house because <laughs> was i mean did that was that successful that trip for for fundraising like and 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 because I think a lot of fundraising for people is just a sign of support from your network. And there's a difference between that and when you step outside of actually the limitations of your network and it becomes something bigger. Like was, was that first trip, do you think, was it almost people giving you money to the charity because they're friends and they also are almost showing their appreciation for the battle you've gone through? I think probably mostly, yeah, you know, and beginning, all, I didn't really know what I was doing. Social media was like, I, I, I don't even think it existed, only YouTube. Maybe. Oh, no, it did. Facebook just came out mm. and YouTube. So I kind of I kind of went more the YouTube kind of route just because it's video and I'm dyslexic. So then if you just talk to a camera, it's a bit better. But where things started to change and almost blossom a little bit in, in donations, was around about the halfway point i was pedaling along the afghanistan border in in tajikistan wow uh, and i woke up in the morning and we're talking like five five a.m still pretty dark and i opened my eyes and all i could hear which is what i thought was fireworks uh, but in the end it was explosions and machine guns and so you know what, what would you want to do when you kind of wake up to that oh. So naturally, I grabbed my camera, right? Because I'm doing YouTube videos to help with donations. So I grabbed it. I go, I get out outside, right into the heart of the war zone. I turn the camera on, and now I'm like, something's going on here. I don't know what's going on. And then, then I looked at the camera. Right? Now, when you turn the camera on, it gives off this flashing red light. <laughs> So I'm in the middle of a war zone, waving a flashing red light. <laughs> so I got shot at, and luckily I wasn't hit. I mean, I was very close, but, um, and then I was Whoa. trapped. Yeah, I was trapped in this kind of hotel, like on a veranda with a few, quite a few other tourists. And we started to think we're gonna be kidnapped, you know, um, and, and you, I mean, you could hear tanks, all sorts just going off. After 30 hours, um, 
then this woman came in and tried to translate and said, look, there's a two-hour ceasefire. You've got to get out. It's going to get a lot worse. So in the end, we, we kind of all left. And six of the people died within those 30 hours in a, in a really small kind of village almost. Um, but what, yeah. Just over the, so was it just over the border from Afghanistan then? Uh, yeah. And wow, did, did, you, did you cycle out then or did you? Pedal out, yeah. And what did, because surely of, of, if you're going to have a moment that makes you double check yourself and actually think, hang on here, this, there's fun and then there's actually stupid. Like, why, why did you decide to continue really, given how dangerous that was? Weirdly, and, and we all felt this when we left. We all felt like it was actually quite exhilarating, the experience. That sounds totally off the wall. Because mm. the whole time you're really wanting to get out and you don't want to be there. But weirdly, it was exhilarating and, and, and you almost want to go back there. Like it's, it's so bizarre. Mm. Um, but getting out was like just get your nose to the, to the, to the wheel and just keep pedaling and then you know once you've made that commitment i'm sure you get it once you've made the commitment i'm pedaling from bangkok to gloucester i've got to get back i'll get back and i gotta do it by the <laughs> bike and at the time did your parents know that the exact circumstances while you were locked in in the hotel or was that something that you kind of only let on after no there was no connection like that no mm. one had phones nothing it was yeah Yes, eight, nine years ago. Wow, it's like, like another world back then, wasn't it, that we didn't even have a phone to use? Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, and I think as well, the not just the way we communicate social media to our friends, to the outside world, but actually I think social media has changed the way there weren't influencers. People weren't, you know, people like yourself weren't as, as common. And so to have someone actually oh, doing oh, I'm, these... I'm common. I'm common as Mark David. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Because now th there's certainly a breed of people who... The Running Show, for example, the National Running Show, it's, there's a lot of people who've done big adventures, knowing that previously you'd have to almost be world first or sponsored by a company or backed by the BBC or, or National Geographic, whereas actually now... That there's there is a new class of of job that is adventure influencer, where um, people are seeking out more dangerous and crazy challenges with the intention of getting people's attention. Um, I mean, back back then was did it feel different to what others were doing? Guess I didn't really know anyone that was doing it. I mean, I didn't even know. I didn't even know you could kind of do adventures. I, I, I once heard about a guy who I'd met at this point who actually pedaled around the world. And my mate said, have you heard about Joe? And I was like, no, Joe. And he goes, Joe. And I, and we both laughed. It was like average Joe. He was so normal. And we had this brief meeting and this guy or my friend actually said, look, this guy, he's like, he's now cycling across the world. You know, and that was kind of the only story I had of like a seed of inspiration, if you like, that you could actually do something like that. 
and, and so when you came back then, how how did that transition from being a, a one-off exciting adventure to raise money to actually because it's you know you you had twenty grand in the bank and you'd probably spanked half of it on that journey, but you you'd come from a cash-rich position and it's very different to then have to continue doing things or, or, or attempting challenges where you don't have that financial security. So like how did you know after that first adventure that it was was going to be a, a lifelong uh, challenge? Or? Oh, no. I mean, I, I, I literally had no idea what I was doing. Um, but at, on when I was in Turkey, I mean, I was pretty strong at pedaling. I found I was like pedaling 100, 200 miles in one go. I was thinking pretty good at this jamie and uh so i thought right well let's just strike while the iron's hot i actually google what's the longest ever uh bike ride known to man i put it into google and it came up with this italian guy who sat on a stationary bike for 10 days uh non-stop and i was thinking you can't pedal for 10 days non-stop like that's impossible but then i was thinking well if an italian can do it <laughs> so i jumped you, you are famously prejudiced against the italians um it has to be said <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so as i came in to like gloucester i mean with, i thought you know i've got this cycle fitness going on for a year of pedaling let's just do it so i jumped on a static bike in gloucester docks where i live and the mm. whole community kind of came together to support it and you had to keep above 12 miles an hour. If it dropped once, it was like the end of the record. It was really high intense stuff that you had to, had to keep on it. Uh, and I, eventually I made it to eight days. Uh, but then, um, after eight days, my bum started to bleed, blister and become wow. infected. Are you were you allowed any breaks in that? Is it, is it like the rollercoaster record where you get 15 minutes off every 24 or? Um, oh well, you 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 can. So every ten, every one hour, you get a five-minute break. So then, if you pedal for twenty-four hours, you can get a two-hour break. So the whole mission was then to get a one and a half-hour sleep cycle. Um, mm. So yeah. So on the first night, I actually led down after twenty-four hours, and I was like, "Come on, sleep." And the pressure mm. was just too much. Mm. So then I pedal for. I think 40 hours then and then led back and then got my one and a half hour sleep cycle after that and made it to eight days. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my, my ass, I mean, it went, I mean, it went really bad. I mean, it, it was so bad. I mean, the, the tears was coming down and because it was becoming infected, like mm. it was going to end the record. So they got three skin specialists in to sort the problem out. So these nurses came in and one of them, um, kind of pulled my pants down and then took a photo of my bum. Then she she held the photo up to my face. I look at the photo, I'm thinking, why would you do this to me? <laughs> was she trying to see which looked worse? <laughs> and she said, I'm so sorry, Jamie, there's nothing we can do. We've had to think about it. There's nothing we can do for your bum to heal. You've got to get off that bike. And so I just, you know, I just got my head down and just, just started digging deep. Anyway, they came back uh, two hours later, and then one of the nurses said, "We've got it, Jamie, manuka honey." 
I don't know if you've ever um, yeah. Maluka honey, David. Ki- kiwi honey, is it? Yeah, it's like a kiwi honey. It's like an antibiotic. So she slapped that on my ass, and then that actually healed the infection. Then I managed to keep pedaling for 12 days to get a Guinness World Record. Well, and, wow. I mean, let's talk about that first. We, like how, what was your mental state after you know, three, four days through to the end? Yeah, I mean, pretty dark. Because were you, did you have entertainment with lots of people there throughout? You know, what what, what was the setup? Uh, so I guess anyone can come. So it was open to the public. So we put up signs by day four because everyone kept coming in and being like, how are you doing, Jamie? <laughs> yeah, stop what? asking me if I'm happy, if I'm if I'm comfortable. Worst question ever. So then we put up posters all around the kind of marquee that said, don't ask Jamie how he is, just distract him. And then it set off, you know, lots of people then realizing that distracting me was the the best thing to kind of support me through. So people were turning up in superhero suits, finding out if there's anything just to kind of take my brain to another place, really. And was it a physical challenge as well? Like, did you, I, I just haven't got a concept of what it's like to to cycle, well, for more than five miles, let alone for, for 12 days. Did you, were you really struggling to keep up that pace? And so the pace was very easy, but, but the sleep deprivation, doing no hmm. sleep, just, just making your legs go round is like a challenge. You know, because your mm. brain just disconnects in the end. I think it was something like day nine where somebody somebody said, hey, Jamie. And then I turned to him and the guy said, are you OK, Jamie? I was like, yeah, fine. I said, why? And he said, well, it, it took you about 20 seconds to turn around just to look at me. And I was like, hmm. Really? <laughs> Are you in a, a, a state of hypnosis almost? Or yeah, I think I think you probably do go into this deeper zone of yeah. And do you at the end was it sleep that stopped you? Like, did you just fall asleep, or let's say for example that the record was eighteen days or fifteen days? You knew you had to get that. What do you think you could have gone to? Ah, that's a good question. It was a really big chat towards the end when I was 12 days because we had a few members of the team that said, oh, Jamie, you should just be like one of those freaks of nature that just keep going. Uh, but then there was this really one sensible guy um, who understands science and the you know biology. And, and he said, Jamie, you know what? He said, you've smashed the record by two days great and he said if i was you you're at this place where you're starting to go where no man or woman has ever been and Mm. we have no idea what this is doing to your health and he said why don't we think about the next one so was that do you think he was that was his way of because he knows your mentality that it's not that way you're not stopping you're, it's a positive. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he was just 
trying to stop me from dying. But I think I can't remember who I stopped because we've we've recently interviewed you know, Chris Holton, who is awesome. Yeah, you you may have been on the bill at uh, Love Trails or something similar to him. But um, I've recently talked to him about sleep, and I can't remember who was telling me, but or someone else that you're at. He's absolutely right in that. They've done tests, and when you get past a certain point, because I, I think someone's slept, gone to nine days without sleep before, it's just physically impossible wow. to keep them awake. Yeah. But there are potentially like lasting psychological damage, and it could oh, affect the, your mental health for life. And um, yeah, the got, damage is already done. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? How were you afterwards? Like, what did you do for the next week? I was pretty buggered for, for the next week. And I guess I, I was trying to comprehend the year that I'd been on, really. You know, you're just like trying to look back on what, what's just happened almost. Mm. Uh, and, and then, um, and then kind of everyone around me kept saying, Jamie, you know, what are you doing next? I'm thinking, what are you talking about, about doing anything next? Like I've, I've just, what I've done, I was like, I need a holiday. So I, I actually went and like, applied pretty quickly a few weeks after for a Canadian visa to go on holiday. I was hoping to be like a backpacker type holiday, you know, get drunk and try and pull some women and just, you know, be a bit of a slob, really. Um, but everyone just kept saying, you know, you need to keep doing this. Maybe it was like subconsciously going in or pressure, I don't know. But then I was sat on my mum and dad's toilet and my visa for Canada came in. I thought, bugger it. You know what? Like, you know, like this, this does feel kind of right. And, um, and then about two days before that, the, the children's hospital actually invited me in to show me where the donations went. And they ended up building uh, a new school playroom. 20,000 pounds was raised. And again, like a, like a, a big amount of money and, Call it like a coincidence, David, but it, like £20,000 was the money that I saved mm. the house that I didn't buy that mm. got raised. And um, so I left there. And so I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. There's just, it, just, it just felt right. So I'm like sat on my mum and dad's toilet. I'm like, bugger it. So I jumped off. I'm like, mum, dad, I'm going to run across Canada. And then my mum, remember, was just going, no, I don't think that's a good idea, Jamie. <laughs> And then my, my dad, his veins started pulsating on the side of his head. And he was like, that's exactly what you should be doing, son. And we, we ended up putting uh, Run Across Canada into Google. And then we found a guy called Terry Fox. You ever heard of Terry Fox? I don't think so. Okay. He's, um, you can watch his YouTube. It's like a 10-minute documentary. He's a guy that in the 1980s, he ended up running across Canada with cancer in one leg. Um, so me, my mum and dad, we watched the documentary. And at the end, um, I'm going to ruin the story for you completely. Um, but at the halfway point of Canada after 100 marathons, his cancer returned and he ended up dying. He didn't finish it off. And... To date, he's raised $700 million. Wow. In fact, I, that rings a bell, that story. I didn't, did, was that in your speech or is that? I've, it may I, have been. I, I may have been down a Google wormhole where I, <laughs> I, I, I remember, 
I've definitely read and followed about an article because I think he had a record at the time before he died for either the longest run or the um, the most run he raised. Um, and before we before we go on to that, then what do you think? Because yeah, do you, do you, why do you think people were saying you, you should do more? Like you, what are you doing next? Because I, th- I that's more of a common question now. But I I'd say it it wouldn't be. For most people, even if they'd done what you'd done, I don't think people would assume that they should ask you what you're doing next because you, it, it, I don't think it's that logical a question. Um, but what do you, what is it about you that you think people assumed almost that you would be or wanted that made them want you to? Good question. Maybe they were just being inquisitive. Maybe they were, you know, maybe, I mean, and I wouldn't have realized at this point, but, you know, maybe they were getting something out of the journey, you know, and and so, you know, keep just keep going. You know, they want to, maybe they just wanted to see me die next time. Because <laughs> was, was the, the one on the bike, was it very, very community focused? Like, did, did it? were huge numbers of people involved um, almost in a David Blaine type of way where everyone came in and yeah yeah it, it, it really is quite bizarre and I'm I'm from Gloucester you know I'm born and bred thick in the head so it did feel like my my hometown was really coming together and I mean they they invited me on to the Gloucester rugby pitch like that and I ended up walking down the the part we call it the shed you know and it's where the rough and the ready from gloucester are from yeah. and yeah. i mean no one gets the honor of walking down the shed on the pitch with the you know like, and so i was there with my crappy old bike and I, I remember as i came up to the shed you know i could just feel almost like this like this emotion tip and then i started to well up and then the people from the shed they must have picked up on it and then they just went absolutely ballistic and so then i sobbed my heart out all along the shed. <laughs> you know yeah and so i had all those people just coming down i mean it was yeah interesting when when you say you then thought i'm going to run across canada because i think a lot of us as, as podcast listeners, as as runners, we very much almost see our sport as being like we're fit for running. We do running. And I'm used to doing various distances. But as you suddenly said, do you want to do this in a different sport? I'd have a little bit of trepidation and a bit of nerves because I wouldn't be sure whether I could transfer Firstly, my abilities, but also, you know, what if I suck at it? Like, was was that a concern? That's a good point, actually. Yeah, going from pedalling to running is it's a bit of a shift, isn't it? And I really don't do either either kind of well. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, I did have the, like tennis as my background, so I guess I just hoped that I'd be able to do it really. You know, it's that tiny little bit of belief of just maybe I can do it. But, man, I was shitting my pants before running across Canada. I mean, that was like the ultimate. Well, how does, like, because Canada, 
from where to where because canada in my head is like so many islands it's it's got the the, the logic longest coastline of any country in the world i believe um newfoundland yes i th- i don't know much about it but yeah okay so that that's like on the on the east coast and it's this island basically that they sound they sound irish like fresh off the boat irish they don't even sound canadian it's so weird there's a, a city there called saint john's so that was the start um, and then the mission then was to run five thousand miles and um, to the other side to finish in vancouver to the pacific ocean um, and all i could get was a one-year visa so no pressure and w- when you go when you went into this now that you've done your first two challenges like did did you have a target in mind financially or was it just a case of let's get get cracking see what happens yeah i think i think i remember it being maybe something like ten thousand twenty thousand kind of things again um so but it's one of those you know again i was kind of bumbling i didn't really know what i was doing but it almost feels like one smush of adventure, the Bangkok to Gloucester, because I then just jumped straight into Canada. And how were the how were the logistics different? Because on a bike, you've actually got an ability to carry a lot of equipment and a, an ability to move fast as well, which which makes it a lot easier for finding shops, where to stay. But how did you prepare and research a lot of um, for for being on foot or? No, so the only thing I I thought about was, well, how else are you going to run carrying loads of stuff? Of course, you're going to do it with a backpack. Like, there's no other way. So, um, I I got the backpack, but it weighed about thirty kilograms, and I weigh about sixty. So in the end, I mean, I was just like this big obese runner that was just bumbling through. And I think it was two weeks in, and my foot then just went crack, and. I thought I'd broken my foot. So I was hobbling into this like, little town and then this car showed up and the window came down. And he said, hey, you that guy? And I was like, I, I don't know. And he said, well, I think you're the guy I've just started following on Twitter. And again, like, you know, Twitter just came out at this point. And uh, he said, can I help? And I was like, I think I've broken my foot. He's like, cool. Well, I live like a mile down the road. Like, why don't you just like come here and we'll stay for the night? It turned out that him and his wife were these hardcore marathon runners. So I got there. Their friend was a doctor. So they got me a bone scan like immediately. And we got this bone scan. And I remember like sat there still thinking this is the end. You know, I've just kind of told all my mm. friends and family I'm, I'm going to do this great adventure. And I'm looking at the scan and I'm like, Doc, I'm like, this ain't good news, is it? And he looks at me and he looks at the bone scan. He goes, Jamie, he goes, this is great news. He said, <laughs> it's not broken. It's just ligament damage. <laughs> That's great news, isn't it? <laughs> I've already got like another 190 more marathons to go. I put, in my head, ligament damage is worse, isn't it? Thinking of like plateau franchises. Oh, God, I can't even speak. That's how tired I am the weekend. A plantar fasciitis, that's, you know, that's ligament damage, isn't it, of sorts? And Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really know much at this point. So I, 
he just said look just let the inflammation just go and then and then crack on but during that period staying with the these hardcore runners the 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 woman said jamie have you ever thought about running with a pram how did i never think of that <laughs> so we we went online and shipped a pram straight to the door and then i and then i left that house and oh, it was like running on air after that. <laughs> do you think you'd have made it with without a pram? Like, w- what do you think would have happened? No, I wouldn't have made it with a a, a backpack. I mean, it, you know, I think it would be possible if I put in a good solid year, two years of training. But I mean, I mm. I, I I didn't put in any miles at all in training. So to suddenly stick thirty kilograms start running worst idea ever but um, did, did you did you still get a sense that you had that residual fitness from cycling no um, and so, yeah i just think i in the end i just i wholeheartedly had to adapt to a running fitness then and what what did that look like like how many miles were you attempt because you've you've got five thousand miles in in six or five days wow <laughs> that's quite a lot isn't it yeah um, it works in running terms if this helps it worked out i needed to complete 200 marathons in a year you know in 360 days so i was starting out running maybe like 13 14 miles i mean mm. that was huge i mean i remember just getting to the end of that day and just being broken but as each day you know you've probably all found this you know you just you just get stronger. And were you camping? Were you reaching out to the community to try and find people to have beds? Or yeah, I mean that is a good question. After a few more months of running, I started to feel quite lonely, mm. and I didn't really know how to counteract it. And in the end, I just saw this house in the distance, and I thought I've got to do this. Like I just, I'm not going to survive. So I went up to the door and I knocked on it, and I said hi. Um, I'm running across Canada. Is there any chance I can camp on your lawn? But in my brain, I was just thinking, please let me in. Will you be my friend? <laughs> and then this woman, she was like, no, you can't. Like, off you go, will you? You know, and I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't want to disturb you. And then she said, well, who are you anyway? And I said, well, I'm like running and stuff. And she said, right, well, just wait there, will you, boy? And then she went off and she came back five minutes later and she said, right, now I've just Googled you and you're real. <laughs> and then and then she let me set up my tent and then she came back out five minutes later again. And she said, uh, Jamie, stop setting up your tent. There's a motel and a key waiting for you and it's it's all paid for. Wow. She she really didn't want you in her house that much. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. I will do anything to stop you going in. <laughs> yes, away. Um, and I went so, there, um, and there I was no ho- there was no motel in. and no key. <laughs> but actually, because like fifteen miles a day, if you know, if you you know, for us now is is a lot of mileage. But actually, once you're doing that, once you're used to that. That's a lot of time that you're not running because walking, you can do that in, let's say, five hours. 
and so you still got 19 hours of that day left like we were you like were you still trying to keep it even were you using that time to try and do fundraising kind of building the profile or were you trying to make friends like how did you break it up i guess yeah it's a good good question so every day i'd kind of try and just get them all done you know and then and then try and build connections to get a place to stay so that woman ended up building lots of connections so i had complete strangers taking me in so obviously you spend loads of time chatting with canadians which i really enjoyed and mm. i then do i was kind of doing the youtube editing so I, that kind of the fundraising really took the whole amount of time so, and, and of course it's endless isn't it because you could you could always be doing more to get donations so um but that was okay it probably distracted my, my brain from the fact that i had to run across canada on my own um and and everyone telling me that you know i'd probably not make it so um so it's probably a good healthy thing really and do you think because a lot of when a lot of when we approach runs or when we approach races I think we're quite focused on the macro breakdown of how many miles a day or um, seeing it as runners and like, is this hard enough? Is this tough enough? Do you think in how people, we've always talked about like the basically Eddie is up being a child killer because he's made running marathons too simple and look too easy. So now we can't raise money by doing it ourselves. Do you think people, when they, do, do people, care about how many miles you're doing a day when you've got i'm running canada but is it more about is it useful to have a story that catches the imagination in one sentence do you think and is it do you need to think about your daily slog to be able to sell that to people or not um I, I, do you know what for some reason maybe I, I look back and maybe i made that adventure far harder than it should have been you know, because I'd never done anything like that before. I'd never ran before. So it just the whole thing was just a slog. And am I going to make it? So I think that that definitely helped the Canadians kind of help get behind me because I really was a vulnerable, stupid Brit. I mean, it was just clear cut. And so I think that really helped. But but ultimately, one of the greatest things that ever happened on that journey was that um, I ended up there was a, there was like these crossroads when I got near got near to Toronto, and I could either just keep going directly across Canada in the shortest possible way, or I could have went down to one of the children's hospitals that I was raising money for in Toronto, and. The hospital said that if you could run down this way, that would be great. You know, that would you get to meet kids and that'd be great. We'd be able to get the donations rolling in. And I had one of those decisions to make of, you know, do you go the shorter road or do you put another 15 more marathons onto this adventure? I didn't have a great start. Uh, my visa was running out and it was just one of those like it was a it was a moment as my brain was just wanting to do the easy road and, mm. and my heart was wanting to do the extra marathons and in the end I kind of went with my heart and and when I landed down there the donations just absolutely just rocketed I think we raised something like 20 30 maybe even 40,000 dollars in the space of 10 days 
Wow. So, yeah, and it just, from that point, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe I connected to, you know, just being in hospital as a kid and, I don't know, suddenly all these families were coming out that had sick kids. They just, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's, it is almost the perfect story if you've got a, a child who's sick, isn't it? To be able to show them someone who they can say, look, this this person was in your circumstance and they're now running across Canada. I mean, there's there's no greater message of hope you can give to a child, really. So when when did you decide to flip it? And for you not to necessarily be the center of all of the attempts that, you, that you've been involved with. I guess you kind of are, you are at the heart and you are the center. But, you know, there's an element of, you know, none of none of the none of the challenges or any of it is really about when I, as I got towards the end of Canada, I look back and really was it on the achievement? If you kind of reflect on the journey, you know, I remember kind of like the the woman Daisy who got me the motel key, you know, who got me the night and I wouldn't have made it through that day if it wasn't for her. And so suddenly all these people that end up helping you through are kind of equally a part of the journey. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to make it. And if it wasn't for the kids and the families coming out, I wouldn't have been able to make it. So I don't know. It just, I'm just, I'm an, I'm an absolute first class idiot. And I'd never, I'd never get through any of these adventures without anyone supporting or helping. And, and that's just fact. I mean, it, because my, I'm, I'm just going to check my memory actually. Because my memory of the talk was that you, you then were approached by someone who said, "I want to do a challenge," and but I'm not you. I'm not the adventure man. I can't do these things. And you then took it upon yourself to create this challenge for them to do. Is, is that am I, am I right in that? Oh, okay, yeah. So at the end of Canada. Um, I ended up then setting up a charity called Superior Foundation and then families with sick kids got in touch and one of the families was a dad. His daughter had cerebral palsy and he, he basically said, Jamie, she, she needs another £30,000 to get an operation in America. She's got cerebral palsy, she's got pain in her legs, but this operation will take the pain away and keep her walking. He said, can you help? He said, we've raised 20, but we need another 30. And I'm like, I'm not really sure. Um, I said, how about I come to your house? So the next day I turned up at his house and I knocked on the door and I was like, I was like, hey, mate. And he goes, hey, mate, do you want a beer or do you want a coffee? And I was thinking, I'll just take a coffee for now. And I sat in with this family and it was really warm. And I met Charlotte and a little girl. And I said, do you know what? I think we can raise this extra £30,000. And I said to the mum or the dad, who wants to be the superhero? And then they kind of like pointed at each other. And then I said, right, well, who fancies a challenge? And then the mum and the dad pointed at each other again. And then, the, and then the husband just cracked and he looks at me and he goes, all right, bugger it, I'll do a challenge. And then I goes, good, James. I said, because I just worked out yesterday 
that if you go up and down our local hill 75 times, that would be the equivalent of Mount Everest. You want to see his face when I said it. <laughs> and then his wife, she said, you bloody will do that, James. And he goes, right, well, that's it then. He goes, we'll do it. So two days later, he calls me up and he goes, Jamie, I've just tried 25 summits out of the 75. He said, my knee is buggered. It's gone. And all I wanted to like scream at him was like, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like a big guy. <laughs> and in the end, I just said, you know what, James? It won't be your physicality that's going to get you through this. It's going to be your motivation for your daughter. So I said, just do nothing now. You know, don't and just be fresh and as healthy as you can in a month's time. So we get to the start of the hill and he starts rocking it up and down. It's a really steep hill. It took, takes like, you know, 30, 40 minutes to get up and down. Mm. And after 20 hours of going nonstop, James then comes down and we're in this little tent and he looks at me and he's crying his eyes out. I've never seen a grown man cry his eyes out before. And he goes, Jamie, he goes, my knee is gone. Like, I can't take another step. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking this really isn't good donations are at zero mm. and and you know there's another 40 more hours to go and we're at 20 hours so I thought I'd give him a story so I, I told him about Terry Fox who I mentioned earlier you know mm. cat, ran across Canada with cancer in one leg and I really focused on the one leg and right in the knee of the pain you know where he was feeling it so I'm like focusing all the energy there. And then he looks up with tears in his eyes and he says, what? He ran with a stump. And I said, he ran with a stump, James. He goes, all the way across Canada. And I was thinking, I better leave out the part where Terry's <laughs> <dies> halfway. <laughs> so then he gets up and then he starts hobbling on and he makes it to 40 more hours and then he came down and he started to puke up and he couldn't stomach food. So we threw him in the back of a camper van and gave him a one and a half hour sleep cycle. And I said to his wife, I said, what's he been talking about with food? Requesting anything? And she said, he has been talking about a McDonald's. Right. Hasn't really been in the game plan from the day we met him. But you know what? At this point, let's just give him what he wants. So he wakes up, we stuffed him full of Big Mac. <laughs> and then he gets up, but he could barely walk. And I'm looking at him and I thought, he's never going to make this. So then all these Facebook messages were coming in to, to be supportive to him. And the first one that popped up that I read out, uh, read, come on, James, every step that you take will be giving your daughter um a step that she can and she'll be walking for the rest of her life. You got this. And as I read it out, I was kind of choking up um, in my throat and BBC Radio Gloucestershire were there and they put the mic to his mouth and he said, I've just got to do this for my family. Um, and it went off. It, it ended up going national. And so hundreds of people started to turn up. This one granddad turned up that saved his coppers 
for 10 years to donate to Charlotte. And he ended up making it to uh, 50 hours, but his knees got so bad that he had to walk down backwards down the hill. So we're just thinking the longer this goes on, he's never going to make it. So again, for more motivation, we put posters at the bottom of the marquee, 10, 9, 8, 7. To, to signify every time he got down, he would rip the piece of paper. Um, finally, he actually makes it to uh, four, number four. And bear in mind, James is this really quiet and humble guy. And he looks at everyone and like hundreds of people. And he's like, come on, goes <laughs> over to number four rips the piece of paper down, eats it. <laughs> like, I was like, James, are you feeling okay? Then he starts running up and down the hill. No one could keep up with him on the last four summits. And then on the final summit, we all joined him and we got to the top and he had no idea with the fundraising target. And I said, right, James, um, just so you know, you've smashed the target over £30,000 has been raised um, and you have now um, climbed the equivalent of Mount Everest. And so we got some champagne, we blew it open and poured it all over him. And he didn't know, but Charlotte was in the wheelchair waiting behind the crowds, holding the number one sign. So we wheeled her out um, and then he, he seen her, gave her a big massive hug and then we set off fireworks and that was the start of super foundation wow and was was he someone you ever thought could do i mean to turn around so quickly but could have done it like when you started off did you actually think it was possible i guess um i hoped i'd never i'd never put someone in this position before so all i was really relying on is that he had a, almost like a bigger purpose than himself. And that was his daughter. And, you, you know, I've, it's always helped me through anything, you know, that, that higher, bigger purpose. And so we put it to the t test and we nearly broke him. <laughs> Wouldn't that have I'd... been great to start the charity? Like killed a man from making him climb Everest. Or even now you need to raise 60,000 to get him walking and her walking. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got double amount. <laughs> and so is, is that the ethos of the charity then, where in, instead of you doing something just to raise money, it's about empowering others to, to be heroes? That's a great word, empower. Because, I, you know, I've never been given anything on a plate. And I don't think we ever get anything from that in any way. Um, and so, yeah, we almost, but we, we don't give them the fish, but we give them the rod and show them how to fish. And do people come to you now ready for that? Or is it a journey where you have to try and, because I'd imagine it, it's quite hard to, to pitch the right level of challenge depending on the person depending on the need depending on the community to try and raise enough but also to actually give a big enough stretch without breaking someone yeah well the whole mission is to really break them 
Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> I mean, it's a good one. I really love your face there, Dave. You're looking at like, yeah, absolutely. Great mission. Fantastic. <laughs> I was like, it's the way to get the cash, right? Lose a few along the way. <laughs> You're right. And it does, you know, it, it does. Um, but it, it's always a challenge. And, you know, we've got some families that are very vulnerable and, you know, they kill a really, really sick and, you know, do you really want to then start stressing the parent out more? So it is, it's getting it just right. So, you know, and every day is a school day and it's just learning every day. And, you know, but so far we've succeeded with every single um, family that we've helped. And, and what type of missions have they undertaken? Um, we had... We had one mum who had never walked a mile in her life and we got her to walk uh, doing loops in Eversham uh, and she'd done 52 miles. Now, obviously, in the running community, that is not big, but mm. I've got to tell you, to this mum, mm. it was just out of this world. And um, yet, so we also needed to raise an extra £20,000 to get her walking again, too. <laughs> and I mean, what what advice would you give to people who are looking to fundraise? Because you know, people needed to raise money to get into London, but a, a lot of our community, I think, do are, are looking for a challenge themselves. Like, have you got a sense of of what it is that captures people's imagination? I do actually, yeah. And there is there is a very secret ingredient. Um, the first thing before I get into I won't tell you the secret ingredient because it's a secret, right? <laughs> but don't don't fundraise just because, you know. And I, I think maybe at, at some point, maybe we've all done it where we got like a bit of guilt. Everyone else is fundraising. Well, I'll just fundraise. Mm. That that doesn't seem to connect anyone that want to give. You might get your mum to give twenty quid. But actually, I think that's quite detrimental in the fundraising world, you know, because it just, it's like, oh, another fundraiser or, you know, like, you, you know, the ones that do well because it, it connects to their story. And, you know, there's just this, you just feel it, don't you? You feel mm. like they're, they're doing it because they really want to and it connects. Can't tell you about the secret though. <laughs> you can text me offline. <laughs> but, um, so how do you feel about things like the London Marathon then? Because in reality, out of the however many thousand charity places there are, the vast majority of them are going to be crowbarred, um, crowbarred experiences because you most people are doing it because they want to run London and then they think of well I've I've always thought clean water is important or well you know I like children I'll raise for children or and so do you because we've we've joked about it in the past about how there is this escalation of what is seen as hard and what's seen as tough and 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 how that to a certain extent determines how much you can raise do you do you think it is a positive thing to have all of these smaller forced charity donations or do you think if say for example that race entries didn't require charity and they cleared all of that noise away from people's fundraising 
do you think more money will be raised when people ask of real causes? Ooh, good, good thinking here. Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. I think you could be, I think you could be onto something here because you, you want, you, if we look at the end, the end result is that the give, that the person that gives the donation, we will ultimately want them to feel good for giving. Mm. You know, so if every single donor is made to really connect and feel that, then great. Otherwise, it's just a lot of noise and they're just being pushed at and they're trying to avoid. And so, yeah, that's a good, you could be onto something. I think you should pattern it. Okay, okay. So, um, um, and so what would you, would you, would you advise against people then doing a London Marathon place unless they've got that personal journey of that personal connection? Because strangely enough, you know, I, for example, I, I, I raised money for Street Childs, even though I probably should raise money for cancer because of how it's affected my family. Um, you know, my mum, my sister, my niece. But I just think Street Child's a better charity. I just think the money goes uh-huh. further. I think it's more important. But obviously I'm massively lacking that connection. So That's a good point. So, um, And uh, quite a lot of people kept trying to tell me um, this, but I, I almost didn't want to believe them, is that, you know, in the end, that Canadian run ended up raising half a million dollars. Whoa. And, yeah, I know. And it was spoken about, like, why did people give? Were they giving to the children's hospitals because they were connected to the children's charities? Or, mm. or were they giving to the reasons why I was doing it? So it's always that kind of, you know, why are people giving? And over time, I would... And I didn't see this at the time, but I think people give because they they buy into the individual of why they're doing what they're doing. You know, they, they're, they're very likely to not have a connection with the charity, you know, but they mm. give it because of, you know, the fundraiser. So, so I think if everyone started to connect their life story, so I'm giving you the secret here. This isn't good. This isn't good. <laughs> But I, that, I mean, that's that's I mean, interesting. I, I, because I'm letting you into the secret. This is the <laughs> what's that Pride of Britain award? It's the Pride of Britain. Yeah, I'm going to have to hold up a trophy now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I've got a pen. I've got a God, pen. But, um, <laughs> have you got any? Have you got any trophies, JD? <laughs> oh, that's very. <laughs> but the interesting thing is, though, and actually, you know, same with Danny Bent when he ran across America, you didn't have a single personal connection with anyone from that journey until you made it. Like yeah. you didn't go in there knowing anyone. It's not as if your friends are giving that you were raising for your local charity. You went in there as an outsider. And right. yet... And yet you still think it's it's people's personal connection to you, which is is which is amazing if if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. You you know that that people are gonna give in multiple motivations. They may be connected to the charity more than the fundraiser, but I just mm. think as a general rule, mm. you know, you know, what why do why did I set the charity up to 
to make sure the parents do the challenges. We get the parents to do the challenges because mm. ultimately that connection between that fundraiser and the daughter or son or, you know, people, people buy into that connection there mm. rather than, oh yeah, you know, rather than just this girl who they don't know. And actually what's great about it is if you did, if the next time you do a charity raise fundraiser, you're going to get a whole load of PR because you're the adventure man. But the reality is you've run across Canada, you've cycled here, you've, you've done, been on a treadmill for a week, you've been on a bike for 12, hours, for 12 days. So you're, you're reverse Eddie Idars that you get in that you're taking someone who has, no one has any expectation for them to be able to do anything. And therefore, actually, the challenges that they complete don't need to necessarily be as substantial because it's relative to their ability um and i think people connect with suffering as well and you're I'd, I'd say there's a danger for you that you're if you're trying to do future raising but because it is just who you are now it's it's not it's no longer special it's no longer hard it's no longer will people buy into you going Oh, cool. This is so tough. Cool. <laughs> Give me money because they know that you've been through all this before and actually, you know, the, the strings to pull to try and get money, but also that that's just you now. That's what you expect. That's what you signed up for. So, yeah, maybe you might have a shelf life with how long you can raise for personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm retired. That's it. Do you think you genuinely are? or? Well, I mean, Anna's got a baby on the way. That's my life over, isn't it? <laughs> true, true. I, well, I thought you might be the first, like, the first family of three to do something together. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and, adventure's kind of in my, it's like almost in my DNA, really. And luckily I'm with Anna, and she's an adventurer. So we're going to have sproglets and whether they like it or not, we're putting that into their DNA without them even realizing. I mean, if they don't like it, adventure and they become like a computer nerd, that's cool too. <laughs> um, but, but you, you know, I think the adventures will just be different now, especially with kids. And, you know, I'm probably not going to start, you know, running in minus 45 in Canada mm. with a baby. I mean, it could be good fun, but it might be a little bit not great i don't think anna would like it because have you have you discussed that then your did you have a, a plan a roadmap because i know when we spoke to anna would have been before she did the barefoot probably 18 months two years ago and she was saying that it was a struggle back then when you were just about to go off for almost a year yourself and and just trying to find a week or two i think even when we met we we left each other's voicemails or because you had a week where she was flying out to be with you in one of your challenges. Um, like how, how is it going to work? Like what, have, have you got a, a vision of what life would be like? It will be like in two years time, kind of five years time, 10 years time. No, I think we just keep rolling with it. Um, Anna's a bit more of a planner than I am. I just try and get through today. But when I went away for a year on, on that adventure, we were like heavily in love. We're like, do we really want to put our entire relationship, you know, in jeopardy by me going away? Is this going to work? It's a whole mm. year. And I think it was two months in and she flew out to one of the American states 
and I was running up these like huge mountains and I, I've been on adventures with animals, never had to push each other. Mm. So I had my pram Caesar and on, on our first day, we hit this like, we get hit in these mountains and Anna was like, Hey, Hey, give me Caesar, give me Caesar. I'm like, cool, cool. And then she just, she just kept taking Caesar and she just kept going for it. But the weird part is, the weird part is, is every time she ran with Caesar, her ass would do this like rhinoceros thing where it would like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Obviously, I kept taking the mickey out of her, but she kept, every time we got to the bottom of a mountain, she's like, give me Caesar. It's rhino time. Because, <laughs> so, hey, yeah. Are you a similar level, like, are you a similar level of fitness? And, like, do you think you are very similar athletically and your approach? And could you see yourselves doing a challenge for a year? Like, would it work? I think so, yeah. I can imagine us doing that. And we we are very similar. We're not, we're, we're, neither of us are kind of athletes. You know, we understand we're not all about the speed or anything like that. We're just, we're about the adventure. You know, you just get through day by day and, you know, we both love to move and it is nice. You know, she's like, she's my best friend now. So having that to share experiences with now we're going to have, you know, babies to actually, you know, enhance that and share experiences and see it through their eyes. So yeah, we'll keep doing this for the rest of our life. Amazing. Well, um, I know that uh, Bee King, uh, she, Bee, Queen Bee even, she wants to make, make sure we get in the fact that you're available for hire for public speaking kind of related to this. Is that right? Oh, don't worry about that. That's fine. No, I mean, I, I, we, we've actually had to change me and our work. We, we're speakers, so we turn up at events. So we've just decided um, without uh, choice, <laughs> almost, that we're going to retire for the next year because all the uh, the events uh, got cancelled. But but really, it's just started to kind of move over into virtual virtual events. So I think this could be the new the new world actually giving talks mm. online. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And the, the good thing is, it's then uncapped as well. You can have as many people watching as you want. Yeah, Anna's doing a virtual book tour in a month's time i mean she's already got like 300 people sign up i'm like it's the way forward like it's nuts isn't it <laughs> so if, if people want to get in touch then to kind of to, to hear future tours to talk to you about potentially becoming a superhero themselves or see what you're doing what, what's the best way for them to do that and um, well if they want to book me as a speaker they're never ever going to be able to afford me <laughs> Um, if they'd like to support the, the the charity or if you do have a family or if you have a child that might need a treatment that's outside the NHS, then do get in touch because we can. That's what we do. We, we, we dish out superhero powers, the secret. Um, I only gave you a glimpse. I didn't give you the secret, <laughs> by the way. I gave you a glimpse. Um, so you can get in touch uh, with that. And then also me and Anna both have books. So I've got a, Adventure Man, anyone can be a superhero, uh, which you can get on Amazon and audio. And then Anna's a far better writer than me. She's got awesome adventure books and running books. So I'd probably buy her books over mine. And is, is Amazon where you make the most money? Or is there somewhere better for us to go to get it? Um, 
and I, I went with a publisher, so I don't really know how all that works. And, you know, peanuts end up coming your way. So you don't really make any money. But Anna's independent. Um, so she's just signed up to Author Direct. And okay, it's like cool. a platform for indie authors where most of the profits go to them, which is pretty cool. Oh, great. So we'll go on there and um, well, we'll, we'll share the link with this. And I, I want to talk to you about treadmill records or things like that. But I think we should save that for another time. Yeah. Uh, well, I yeah. tell you what, why don't we do it? Because I'm writing the next book on the on the on the America run and the treadmill. And I've got to say, I mean, it was a journey. I, I didn't realize how ridiculous it was, but it was good. So, yeah, let's do it again. And Yeah, as soon as you're ready to plug it, let us know. We'll be here. Uh, awesome. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. Big love to Anna, and uh, we're hopefully good. Well, good luck with everything in the book. Yeah. Cheers, dear. Appreciate that. And cheers, Jody. Thanks for being late. <laughs> cheers, Jamie. Ah, oh, what a legend! Uh, he is a very positive person. You're quite right. Oh, and just, I just love the, I love the story of it all. The, the taking up tennis, and it's just one of those people that I often, I often think there's a lot of like over positivity in the world, and like <laughs> if you believe it, you can do it. And but he's one of those people that he just does it. I think his, um, the thing is, his. I want to say it's an angle, but it's not really an angle because it is, it is authentic. But the, the the way that he's positioned himself is just so beautifully done, and I, mm. I I just I just absolutely love it. The you know the fact about making people into heroes to help them do. It. I mean, it's just it is so. You know, there's that whole saying, isn't it, about you know you're you're always going to have the biggest amount of impact in the world if you help um, other people achieve their aims first. If that whole idea of serving someone else first is you, and he absolutely embodies that. Mm. completely in in such the best way and it, you know in a way that you know the amount of people he's impacted through doing that it, it, it is insane yeah and it's just so nice to i think in the, especially with influencers and and the rise of instagram now there is so much posturing and yeah. we, and we've also had a lot of people in the past Jimmy Savile, for example, where, you know, charity now is, is almost seen as a cover. Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so and, and it's almost charity is seen as either a cover or as a tool for self um, self-promotion. And so the fact that Jamie's he's, he's built up this following, he's done these amazing things and he's now saying, actually, it's not about me. It's about the charity. It's about making the difference and shining the light on others and, and holding them up higher than him yeah. is, is so cool. And, um, and, and Ben Blows talked about it in his interview of us when he ran around the, the car park of, of the local Tesco's and how much they, money they raised by engaging the local community. And, I, and, and we've often talked about how, a lot, well, people in the group have often said how they struggle to raise money but yeah. for causes or for, or they think they'd struggle to raise money for running London Marathon or Boston, whichever it may be. And actually, this Jamie's story is the key, like the fact that it's about engaging with your local community and, and actually having a cause that resonates 
with a community and engaging that community and and i think for so many people something like the london marathon do you you have people that almost shop about which charity they're going to raise for like, yeah oh, yeah and 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 it benefits the charities as well which is kind mm. of sad isn't it because you think well why would you ever want someone running for a charity that they're not engaged with yeah um, they haven't got that personal connection that personal story yeah exactly and because that must make it really hard to and it does make it really hard to sell that to people as well to tell so oh, why are you running for this charity you're like well yeah they've got places left and it was a hundred quid for me to secure it and now i'm gonna raise 1800 that's why i'm running for them you know it's um or they they have massage beds at the end of the month yes, and... so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their goodie bag is much is far far superior. And I, do I really like the colour of this. I like the charity. Purple. I like yeah, the vest. The vest <laughs> is much much cooler. But the thing is, the cha- charities know that, don't they? That's the thing. The charities mm. know that, and the charities uh, 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 play on that, and and they they kind of do what they have to do. But it is um, yeah, it, it it it's very transactional. But also now, I I do know, having spoken to quite a few managers and charities they do their research if you apply now back in the day we'd fill in a piece of paper send it off and you might say something about yourself but now they'll go onto linkedin they'll go onto facebook and they'll figure out how much you're worth to them well i suppose it's that you're kind of like a risk assessor aren't you yeah because you know that bond that bond that place costs a certain amount of money um and you know if you are someone that you know is like never run a marathon before never raised money before things like that you know you look more of a risk than someone who uh well actually i've said that you have never run a marathon before that may not make you more of a risk that make you might make you pretty good actually because your your Mm. family your your network know that you've never done it so it's a bigger challenge so i don't know yeah i suppose you're 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 risk assessors essentially Mm. yeah yeah you just valuing up well something like the marathon sabre in particular because if someone needs to rate and new york i think so boston now you've got to raise i think ten thousand dollars and that is not possible from a lot of the population unless they have that either city twat unless you're city twat or you've got a genuine community behind you or genuine connection yeah um, which is which is sad. So essentially, something like Boston is now out of reach for a lot of people in any in any way. Because you won't be quick enough, and you you're just not you're not, quick, you're not quick enough. You're not rich enough. There we go. Yeah. And you haven't got no, you haven't got enough friends who are rich enough. It's like a triple punch in the face, isn't it? It's awful, isn't it? It's absolutely awful. You just. Like, I mean, the, the good news is, if if the depression of not getting to Boston drives you to to alcoholism then conversely in two or three years time you might have created a good enough backstory that you can then raise enough money to enter boston so was, it's not I all bad right into alcoholism by boston and boston <laughs> also got me out of it as well i've gone full circle it was, both, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it was both my downfall and my savior it's then as the boston bubble <laughs> it's, it's where in fact, there are charities. There's a charity that exists just to raise money for people who get sent into just um, depression about not being able to get into Boston Marathon. I mean, that would be a ra- Boston. It's called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Jamie. Incredible guy. I've been wanting to get him on for ages, and I just didn't realise that he never checks his his Facebook. But um, 
if you like this episode, we had a, a lovely, lovely chat with his his girlfriend uh, Anna McNuff, who has she's equally as amazing and inspiring and energetic and vibrant. We spoke about Ben Blaze. He has he was on Hell Week the year after I was, but he also has the Is world any record. Good at, any good fess ups? He's pretty good at most things, actually. Um, but yes, he's he's a lot better than me. Well, he's he's a he's a human, so he's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> he's better than me at press ups. But he also so he talks about setting the world record for running with a fridge. Was it on his back? I thought it was a tumble dryer. Tumble dryer, tumble dryer on his back, and he then also. It was some. It was some white appliance, wasn't it? It was. It was something that Daz Ultra would be very happy about. And um, he also, we also talked about raising money because he'd decided to um, to run once an hour for 24 hours with a friend to, to help raise money for um, a, a child in his community. And that's really, really interesting. Follow on from what Jamie says, if you are want, wanting to do something amazing and, and wanting to, to raise money for, say, like a Boston Marathon or London entry, that's a really good um, insight into into what you need to do. Um, any episodes you'd recommend, J.D.? I think you've named all the ones that I was thinking of in terms of um, talking about that, that charitable aspect. Um, we did talk. We did talk really, really on about raising uh, raising money, um, but we probably we probably do an update on that. Actually, I think it would be quite useful to talk about you know different landscape. You know, five years ago when we did that original one, you know, it's, a lot's changed since then. We've got a lot True. of platforms. Charities yeah. have, have changed. The landscape has changed. Many things. GoFundMe didn't exist back then, and I beg that... your pardon. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's funny. <laughs> But um, if there's if there's future guests you'd like us to interview, then message me, David, at badboyrunning.com. If you've got any feedback on this, um, any suggestions, any stories you'd like us to like to share with us, then letters at badboyrunning.com. Um, anything about the group you'd like yeah, to mention, so if Jane? Join, if you want to join, yeah, we talked a little bit about some of the discussion going on in the group. If you want to join in, add your, uh, your two penneth worth. Um, to the group, if you just find us on Facebook at Bad Boy Running Podcast, and you'll answer three questions, and we'll let you into the group. If you are on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use, if you could subscribe, rate, and review, that really helps. In fact, next week we're going to have a chat about some recent feedback uh, that we've been had, negative, of course, ooh, ooh, um, ooh. which I think is worth worth talking about. Very funny as well. So uh, we like funny feedback. Um, but as but many funny positive. Are, we hate funny, funny, funny negative. Funny positive. Funny well, positive. I think it's, if you're going to give us one star, be really funny about it. Um, but don't give us one star because you think it's funny. Um, because the more five star uh, ratings and reviews we get, the more it helps David um, pressure uh, unwilling participants to, uh, to to be an interview. So, uh, so yeah, if you can support us on that, great. We're also on Amazon Music now, so you may be listening <laughs> to Amazon Music. <laughs> is that true? It is true. Amazon well, yeah, Music. Assume, is that just like iTunes or? I don't know. It's Amazon Music. <laughs> I'd love it if it's all music from the Amazon. <laughs> just water. Waterfalls. Very, very grave mistake. Carrots. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week. See you later. Bye 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 b
Fuck you, buddy.